This podcast makes no representations. None of this constitutes advice and your home or property may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mortgage Podcast with the bearded broker himself, Lewis Shaw, and myself, Joshua Smith. Lewis, good evening. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I always say good evening on these things, but with it being a podcast, people listen at all times of the day, don't they? So if somebody's on the on the way to work in the morning and they hear me say good evening, it's going to freak them out for the rest of the day, really, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, it is a bit of an odd one. I've I've uh, I've I've had a, I've had had a bit of news. Oh, what a bit oh, of news oh, to oh, share. Oh, here we go. Uh, let me guess. You are pregnant and getting married in Gretna Green. No, no, that was the other week. Your, um, okay, your beard has been used by a nesting migrant bird, which is protected, and you are not allowed to shave until it migrates again. And maybe the case, I'm not sure, but I mean that that could happen. But I, I'm, you know, but no. So here's the thing. So um, the local, have you heard of the Chad newspaper? I have. Yeah. Okay. So it's a it's a local. I say it's a local paper. It's actually quite big, really, to be fair, the Chad. So it covers Mansfield and Ashfield, uh, but kind of and, and and the surrounding areas. But it's part of a bigger thing called JPI Media, which apparently are quite quite a big thing. I didn't really realise. But um, so Chad um, run uh, their they have an awards due uh, every year, and it's the Chad Business Excellence Awards. And um, I got nominated in a couple of categories um for these these awards and um so so what happens is you're nominated and then uh if you know if someone likes the cut of your jib uh you go onto the kind of like i think a bit of a long list and then you get shortlisted and you have to kind of send logos in and they ask you things about your business and, and one thing and another anyway um there was an awards ceremony on thursday just gone so that would have been the 10th sorry 11th of november uh, so yeah, it was the 11th of November, which was incidentally my birthday. So thanks for the many happy returns. Happy birthday! I didn't get from you. To <coughs> you. Um, happy birthday! That's enough of that. That's yeah, don't bad. don't sing it. Sounds bad. Sounds bad. <laughs> Why um, do birds? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, so I went to this awards do, um, and it's kind of the great and the good in terms of business in in kind of Mansfield and Ashfield region um which is not a small area i think that covers about a quarter of a million people or so or puts a quarter of a million people or so um anyway i was up for this award in the well in the category of small business of the year and i was up against a number of businesses big certainly bigger than mine and you know um basically i'd gone for a night out it was my birthday i'd gone with one of the one of my mates from the rugby club took him as a guest um met some lovely food met some really really nice people anyway um Lo and behold, I actually won a small business of the year. Uh, so, Shaw Financial Services, uh, you know, won won the Chad Business Excellence Small Business of the Year award. Which is, I know, I shouldn't perhaps be, you know, I, I know, um, you know, pride always comes before a fall and all that kind of stuff. But I, I actually am because I am a small business. I'm a very small business. It's just me. Well, there are other people involved, but not in a full time role. But um, yeah, so. Uh, Officially award winner. I've got a, a little um, a, a glass um, trophy and everything that's engraved, and yeah. So check that out. You know. So what does it feel like to be hosting a podcast with a winner? 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, huge congratulations to you. Needless to say, you had the last laugh. Um, Needless to say, you know, <laughs> the last laugh, yeah. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Now, genuinely, all jokes aside, it's, uh, it's a fantastic achievement, isn't it? Uh, so huge congratulations uh, to yourself, Lewis, uh, for picking up a very prestigious award. People can, you know, we, we can say it's always only a local paper, this, that, and the other. It's a very prestigious award, and it speaks volumes, given, because there's a huge amount of competition in that area, and as there is across the whole country. And um, So to, be, to get that award... Uh, is peace of mind, of course, for clients and potential clients, and even from further afield. I think, well, look, you know, this guy he's not necessarily the nearest to us, but hey, if he's the, if he's the best in that area, let's give him a bash. So uh, exactly. let's hope it's the start of something big, and uh, hopefully, we'll see hopefully. where it takes hopefully. us. And then, indeed, hey, you know indeed, what? When indeed. you're a multi-millionaire, you'll need your own financial advisor, won't you? So, well, I mean, it'd be a nice position to be in, I guess, but uh, <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Good stuff, Lewis. What we're we talking about today? Uh, so today I wanted to do something on protection, basically. So this is all about. So I guess I guess it, I, I I don't know what I'm, I'll I'll title this this podcast when it actually goes out, but maybe something like Shaw's Gambit, and that's that's a that's the rip off of Pascal's Wager or Pascal's Gambit. So Pascal was a was a a, a philosopher back in the day, uh, a theologian more than anything, and a mathematician, um, French chap, uh, and he wrote the book called The Pond is an argument for the existence of God uh, and it's based upon probability and basically says um, either there is a God or there isn't a God. Um, if there is a God and you believe, then you win everlasting life. Um, and if you if there isn't a God and you believe there is, then you've not lost anything. However, if there is a God and you don't believe, then you stand to lose an awful lot. So basically, on the on the basis of probability, uh, you should believe in God and you should do all that kind of good stuff that gets you into heaven. Just because on the on the on the probability that God does exist, if you haven't done it, you lose big. Whereas um, if you don't do it and there isn't one, you lose small. So for, so from a, from a, from a, a probabilistic um, stance, Pascal would say you should believe in God just on the basis that it's a good bet to make. Now, we can argue about the kind of ethics and the rights and wrongs of that, whether you should be actually doing it uh, from such a, uh, what's the word, uh, almost like an economic perspective. However, so how does that lead on to kind of Shaw's gambit? So basically, it's about, would you bet on the toss of a coin, a property, your income? Would, would people do that? So well, I, I wouldn't. I can't speak on behalf of all our listeners, but no, I absolutely would not. And 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 here's and here's the thing. So this is kind of so I will call it Shaw's Gambit. Um so or Shaw's wager, if you want. Um so the statistics are cancer research tell us that if you're born in the UK after 1960, there's a 50-50 chance, there's a one in two chance you'll be affected by cancer at some point in your life. That's cancer. So, I mean, they've got tons and tons and tons of data, sadly, on this, um, because unfortunately people, you know, are diagnosed with, with, with cancer all the time. It's a really, it's a really high number as well. Um, actually quite, really quite scary, to be honest. But um, it's going to be a cheery one, Lewis, I can tell. 
well, yeah, but the thing is, but, but here's the thing is that, you know, we often try to talk about stuff that's really great and broad and all the kind of, you know, but actually, um, this is one of these things where if you don't talk about it, you could be storing up lots and lots of problems um, that you don't need to just because you've not taken the time to think about it. Because to be fair, it's something that quite rightly, like you said, it's not particularly, it's not a nice subject to think about. It's not a nice subject to talk about. And we, we, well, certainly in this country, we get very weird about talking about things like this. Um, You know, other other cultures don't have that and and are are much more um, kind of forthright at, at that kind of stuff. And, but yeah, certainly in this in this country we aren't we aren't the greatest at it. Um, so that said, it's something that's important. So, so the wager is this: given that you know one in two people born after 1960 in the UK will be diagnosed with some form of cancer during their lifetime, um, and four cancers, uh, breast, lung, bowel, and prostate. Uh, currently account for more than half of all cancer incidents. And that's, again, taken from cancer research in, in 2018. Um, one in four, uh, so 20%, 26% of all strokes in the UK occur in people under 65 years old. Um, one in 150 strokes in the UK occur in people under 20, and that's taken from stroke.org.uk in June 17. And... Back pain, randomly, back pain is the largest single cause of disability in the UK, with lower back pain alone accounting for 11% of total disability of the UK population. And that's a a growing number um, as well. And not to mention, a growing number of people are waiting longer than, um, you know, four months from referral to treatment. And that's based upon NHS stats from... 17, that's now going to be worse, of course, because of COVID and all the, all the rest of it. And that the, the, the same goes for, sadly, I mean, you've probably seen it in the news for cancer. So that, you've probably seen it in the news, haven't you? How um, with, uh, because, you know, COVID is still very prevalent. It's not gone away. Um, thankfully, we've had a, a good vaccine rollout and uptake. But of course, there are people that remain unvaccinated for a multitude of reasons. It could be either that they're immunocompromised, they are, they would have an allergic reaction, or they just don't want to have the vaccine for whatever personal reasons they may have. Um, but of course, transmission rates are still high. There's lots of uh, people still being, unfortunately, uh, uh, testing positive for COVID. And sadly, still, you know, hundreds of people are still dying um, per day and per week of, of, of this novel virus. Uh, as a consequence, of course. Um, so there's uh, the moment, the, 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 the knock-on consequence of this is that the NHS is maybe not overwhelmed overall, but there are certain instances of where departments and areas of the country where um, NHS departments are becoming overwhelmed. And that's because, of course, they're having to deal with COVID and that has certain precautions and and that takes up valuable bed space that people need. And as a consequence, because of the lockdown and because of everything that we went through with COVID, because perhaps we didn't lock down soon enough, and perhaps the government was asleep at the wheel. We can have a different conversation about that when we're not on air. Now, um, now, 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 and, now, let's not get too yeah, political. But anyway, so anyway, um, nevertheless, it has led to a huge rise in a waiting lists for, um, I don't want to say routine, but certainly for, for, for elective surgery, uh, but also for treatment for things like 
uh, cancers, you know, for, for the availability of of ambulances to treat heart attack victims and stroke victims. I mean, you know, there's, there's all manner of things that are kind of getting in the way. And it's meaning that it's, it's harder for people to get the treatment that they need and quite rightly deserve in, in the NHS. And that's not, I should say, that's not to criticise the health service. They are typically um, under underfunded uh, and, and don't have the necessary resources, and they do a fantastic job with the resources at their disposal. Uh, but nevertheless, that is having, is having a knock-on effect because of, of how they're having to manage as best they can in difficult circumstances the treatment that people are able to receive for diseases and also disease diagnosis and management and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, this is not meant to scare people. I'm not in the habit of scaring people. So when it comes to life assurance, critical illness cover, income protection, I'm very much, it's, you know, it's time to put your big boy pants on or your big girl pants on or whatever pants you want to wear um, and accept that there's an element of responsibility. It's my job and as, as an advisor to highlight the risks that you face going through your adult life. Now, when you take out a mortgage, of course, that's going to be for certainly a minimum of probably five years up to a maximum of potentially 40 years. And that's a long period of time. It's, for most people, the, the vast chunk of their working lives, um, you know, regardless of which whichever way you cut it. Um, and, of course, it's predicated upon being able to afford your mortgage payment month in, month out. So, in, in effect, a mortgage advisor or a mortgage broker, we're, we're a bit like, we're a bit like time travelers. I think I've used this analogy before because what we do is we take what you're doing now, we take your income, we take your outgoings, we take your personal circumstances, and then we reach through into the future and drag money back, value creation in the future, drag it back to the present day through a little portal. Um, and then we give you that mortgage um, over time, but it's all predicated upon your circumstances remaining the same, your ability to earn remaining the same, that you're alive and have the ability to earn and that something doesn't before you that stops you earning. So whether that be death, whether that be a critical illness, that means that you either can't do your own job or you can't work for a period of time, a year, 12, you know, 18 months, two years, or it could be that you, you know, become disabled through either accident or, or, or injury, injury or, or illness. So for example, you know, people that are diagnosed with um, MND, um, you know, that's really, really debilitating people that are diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Uh, again, really, really debilitating or, God forbid, um, you know, in, in, in a form of kind of, um, in a form of industrial accident or, you know, a car crash or something like that where you're potentially paralysed um, and can't work. So it's not that you, you don't want to or, or you know, maybe not even unable to in 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 a, in a mental sense, mental sense but unable to physically you know if you if you're paralyzed from the kind of the waist down it's going to be very very difficult to pull a um a pump truck truck around in, in a warehouse or you know to run up and down some stairs if that's what your job was previously um now i realize that you know we've all got a tendency to assume the worst we all assume the best and we all, you know, the, the, the best will happen. We always downplay the negatives. And actually, there's a really, really easy way of, of explaining to people how this works. So think about the planned nights out that you have. Oh, if we, we've been, we've been uh, working up to it. We're all going out on the works do or on a, on a rugby do, whatever it might be, uh, in three weeks on Saturday. 
and we're building up and is everyone ready? Is everyone coming? Has everyone got the clothes and all that kind of stuff? And then it turns out and it's like, oh, it wasn't, it was all right, but it wasn't that great. It's because we always overemphasize and always over egg the positives. And we always downplay the downsides, which is why a spontaneous night out is generally always, oh God, just don't, those random nights out that we have, aren't they brilliant? And the reason is because you've never set your expectations of what they're going to be like. So it's a natural thing that we do. Um, and of course, to a certain extent, we've got to, because if you actually calculated every risk that you take every time you make a decision or a choice, uh, it would be virtually impossible to navigate your way around the world. Of course it would. You know, if, if you kind of, every time I walked out the door, well, what's the chances that there might be a gunman or a bomb or there could be something there, or it might be that there's going to be someone um, that I meet that passes me a, a, an infectious disease and then I could be walking across the road and get hit by a bus and calculating the speed of it. You know, you, you would struggle to, you know, navigate the way about the world without making certain assumptions all the time. You know, things like bridges will hold my weight, ladders won't miraculously vanish, um, the floor will 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 not fall away in the same way the Dungeons and Dragons might have. Um, however, bad things happen to good people. That just does happen, you know. And we know statistically through all the data that we've got through cancer research, through Macmillan, through the British Heart Foundation, through stroke charities, through, um, you know, all the kind of accident data from NHS data and, and, and not to, not the not least insurance companies. Now insurance companies tend to be some of the wealthiest companies on the planet. There's a couple of reasons for that. And it's because one, um, they're very, very old and, and, and own generally a lot of wealth and property. But two, they tend not to make mistakes. When I say make mistakes, they know what the chances are of something happening. And they know it to a very high degree. Because when you're talking about what happens across huge ranges of populations, of course, we don't just have UK data. We have data, for example, uh, an insurance company that works in the UK and America, AIG, they have American data. They have a data from the from South America. They have data all across Europe. You know, most most insurance companies work multinationally uh, and internationally, and, and therefore they've got tons and tons of information, tons of data. And so they've got very very clever people that sit inside their risk departments called actuaries, and they work out what's the likelihood of having to pay a claim on X or Y, and they generally don't get it wrong because if they did they wouldn't make a profit and they do lots of it. Now that's not to say that they're profiteering or they're doing anything wrong because every business exists to make a profit and that's just how the world works. Now, how did they make a profit? So they, so an insurance company charges you a premium and the premium is effectively, so insurance is just pooled risk. So if there's 10 of us in a room, we all say, right, well, what we're going to do is there's, there's a, you know, we've, we've, we've all come in, you know, a car, um, so what we're all going to do is we're all going to pay into this pot £10 a week so that in, in the event that one of one of the 10 of our cars that breaks down, we can use that money because the, because chances are not all 10 are going to break down um, or if they do all break down, it certainly won't be at the same time and the same, the same um, severity. And we'll all, all have this pooled risk and we'll pull this, this pot, pot of money together. So the event that that happens, that pot of money is used to put something right. That's what insurance is. It's just pooled risk. Um, so when it comes to that, of course, when it comes to mortgages and all that kind of stuff, um, 
the ability to pay a mortgage, as I say, is based upon your ability to earn an income. And we're dragging all that money back that you want to borrow from 25, over the next 25 years, we're dragging it all back to today and saying, okay, here's that 200, 300, 400, 500,000 pounds. We've, we've, we've worked out over the next 25 years, you can afford that. We're giving it you up front and you've got to pay it as back on the basis that you continue to do your job at the same level. And you're going to still be here in 25 years to keep paying that mortgage. Now, that's not always going to be the case because it doesn't take a genius to work out that if there are two people on a mortgage, and let's say that those two people have taken out a mortgage when they're 30 for 35 years, taken up to the age of 65, uh, and if it's one in two chance of being diagnosed with cancer, it doesn't take a genius to work out that there's a there's a high chance given that it's one in two that that either one of you will be affected at some point during that period of time and that's basically kind of lewis's gambit lewis's wager would you bet your home on the toss of a coin it's it's a 50 50 spin would you bet your home on the toss of a coin if i gave that bet to most people they wouldn't take it and yet they're taking it every day if they don't have protection in place? Well, it, um, well, what's, what do I win if I get it right? Well, you, but, the, but this is the thing. You don't. The, the, the choice is, so on the spin of the coin, you either keep your house or you lose it. You don't win oh, anything. Right, no, no, I'm not interested. No, I'll leave that. So, 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 so you wouldn't. So exactly. So on that basis, you wouldn't take that spin. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take that toss of the coin. And yet people... They don't have protection in place when they've got great big mortgages, certainly children that are reliant upon them for not just for love and, and all that kind of stuff and bringing them up and turning them into decent human beings, but also to keep them closed and fed and a roof over the head and all that kind of good stuff that, you know, children get from parents and parents want to provide to the to their offspring. Um, but without the adequate protection in place, you are on a day-by-day basis flipping that coin. And of course, given that there's a one in two chance that, you know, at some point your luck, unfortunately, could run out. And if it does, effectively you're gambling with your life, not just your lifestyle, but your home, but not just your home, but potentially your children's home and your children's future. Because so here's here's something that is a is a real life example. So it was it's a so it's a while ago now. Um, it was in 20, I want to say, it was either 15 or 16. I can't remember the exact date. It's, it's quite a while back now. But a couple with a child. Um, Mr. was a bigger earner. Um, young, youngest child at the time, two and a half. Uh, I remember that um, because they came in and I, and I asked. And uh, the kid wouldn't leave me alone for some reason. I don't know why. I just thought I was really comical. Anyway. It's the beard. Um, it's the beard. It's fascinating. Yeah, prob- prob- probably, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lovely love, love little kid. Um, anyway, so husband was was the bigger earner. Mum was was the part-time earner uh, and, and spent predominantly, um, you know, split her time between working part-time and and looking after the, the young one. Now, I, you know, again, that that's... I don't want this to turn into a, you know, uh, men go to work and women stay home. That's not that. That's not that was just the circumstances. That's again not a judgment. That's just what the circumstances were. Now, um, Mister was 
a, a, a long distance lorry driver. Um, and as, as you know, or probably know, they don't have the healthiest lives, not because they kind of eat it and all that kind of crap, but because if you're sedentary and you sat, you know, for eight, 10 hours a day, it's just not particularly healthy. It's not very good for you. So uh, as, as a consequence, insurance companies know that. And therefore, um, when you apply for life assurance or critical illness cover, whatever, whatever it might be, your occupation and your current uh, medical situation, along with any um, any kind of medical history or family medical history, is all taken into account when it comes to ascertaining, one, if an insurance company will um, give you cover, and if they will, what's that going to cost? So all, all those factors are so what you do, you know, your, your age, your height, your weight, your BMI, your medical history, your job, all these things feed into to what your premium, what the cost of your insurance would be. Now, as it was, the 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 the, the guy, um, the circumstances were that the cost of um, life assurance was relatively relatively cheap, uh, but critical illness cover is generally uh, more expensive because, of course, that's far more likely to happen. I think it's something like, you know, for, for most people of working age, walking around day to day, something like one in 26 will just drop down dead. It's very few and far between. It, it does, it's not the norm. You know, we do see it, don't we? I mean, we see it in cases of really, really fit and healthy people on football fields and rugby pitches, unfortunately. That's really, really sad. Uh, so it does happen, but it, it's not the norm uh, for, for, for young working age people. However, critical illness and things of, of that nature is more uh, prevalent you know we you know you only need to walk around a hospital into an oncology ward which i've done when my mum had cancer and it's there's all ages from you know you know very very young up to you know quite quite elderly and everything in between now unfortunately um the chap in question had a severe heart attack now at the time didn't have critical illness cover because he thought it was too expensive um because the critical illness cover was linked to the life assurance he dis he dismissed both um now i had to fill in what's called a protection declaration where i kind of get him to side to say look i've, ex- I've advised that you should have this but you've chosen not to have it um given that he was kind of the bigger earner decided not to to take that out and unfortunately uh had a heart attack, a very severe one, uh, did survive for um, four and a bit months, but then had a relapse and passed away. Now, when that happened, I got a call from his, his wife saying, what have we got in place? I know we've talked to you about insurance and all that kind of stuff. And I, I had to say, unfortunately, you, if you remember, you declined it. And I sent the docs across and said, look, here's your signatures. Um, unfortunately, you declined it. Now, that meant so. So the, the outcome of this is that then there's a, a a young baby that was well that is and has grown up without its father, sadly. Um, but moreover, they had well the mum had to sell the house where they were, which was in a in a nice area, and move to. And I, I subsequently did the second mortgage uh, just on income and benefits and, and, and stuff like that and there was a small payout from his from his employer uh, because he had a death in service so there was a payout but just not not that enough was needed um and that meant that mum had to move with kids 
at a very, very emotionally fragile time, as you can imagine, um, with all these money warriors. And I had to move from a really, really nice area with, you know, because the reason they'd bought there was because it was the kind of family home and, um, you know, good schools and all that kind of stuff and had to move to not a nice area. There's no other way of cutting it into a home that they didn't particularly want in an area that they didn't want to be in with the catchment school, area schools that, that weren't very nice. And that was the outcome of not planning appropriately because it was deemed as too expensive. Now, there's a difference between something being too expensive and not enough of a priority. Now, I should say at this point, um, I know this person very, very well. And I, I do have, she they, they have given me permission to use this story. So I, sh- I should say that. And it's not someone that's in this local area. It was when I was working um, in London. Um, so <clears throat> when it comes to kind of how much does this stuff cost, it varies. There's no real you know, way to kind of say it will cost X because it's, it, there's so many variables, how old you are, what's your BMI, as I say, all these kind of stuff. But here's the thing. As advisors, you know, myself or whoever else does this job, we have to, when, when we make a recommendation for protection, uh, of course, we've already, we already know what you've got in terms of coming in the money because we've arranged the mortgage. So we know what's coming in. We know what's going out. We know your financial situation. Um, and of course, we can't recommend you take out something that would that is too expensive, i.e. That, that goes beyond your, you know, so of course you've got your money that's coming in and then you, so you've got your income, you've got your expenditure, and then you've got the pot of money that after everything we've kind of taken account of, you've got disposable income. So we would never recommend you take something out that actually goes over the disposable income because that is clearly affordable and that obviously is too expensive just because you've not got the money to pay for it. So we would never do that. So it's often not a case of it's too expensive. It's a case of people tend to maybe not always prioritise in the right way because actually, what's the size? How much does a Sky subscription cost? Mine is about sixty-five quid, which includes my phone and my Wi-Fi, and then a, a Sky package. But then I've got on top of that, I've got Netflix, which is I think now twelve quid a month. I've got Amazon Prime, which is eight quid. I've got Disney Plus, which is an annual subscription of about 60, so that's a fiver. I've got my mobile phone, that's 50 quid. To be fair, I use that for business. Um, but then I'll buy a coffee at Costa, that's two and a half, three quid. I'll buy a sandwich at Boots or, or somewhere like that. Um, you know, I'll go for a couple of pints, I'll have a takeaway. Um, you know, if I, if I go to the rugby club on a Saturday, um, I'll buy a lot of pints, and not, and not just for me, usually, um, and, and easily spend... 40, 50, 60 quid on a night out. Um, you know, it might be the case that uh, I pay for a gym membership of, I don't know, when, I mean, well, my gym membership is I paid an annual thing of £250 for the Rebecca Adlington because um, it's just down the road. Um, so it's, a, you know, and we prioritize, prioritize those things because they're the bits, they're the things that kind of, that is living life, you know, going to the pub for, for a pint with your mate and, you know, when I go down the, the gym for a, either a workout or a swim or I sit at home and watch uh, you know a program on Netflix or I'm watching a film on Sky or it might maybe a, a documentary on Amazon or whatever it might be but the problem is is that we often say oh it's too expensive it's not too expensive is it it's just that you you don't see the value in it and the problem is is that is that you is that if you don't see the value in it 
people always want it when they haven't got it. Um, and that's why it's so very, very vitally important that when you're taking out a mortgage, you really consider these things because actually, you know, Costa and Starbucks and Netflix and Amazon and Sky and the local pub and everything else, they're not going to save your home from repossession. They're not going to stop your child having to go to a worse school and live in a worse area. They're not going to take away the choice that that mum now has to make when it comes to if they can go on holiday, if they can do X, Y, and Z, if they can have, if they can, you know, if they can go out for the weekend because money's really tight. They're not going to do that. And it's my job to make sure that people are aware of that and then to put something in place. However, as I say, I'm very much put your, put your big person pants on because my job is to advise, not dictate. I can only say, look, your circumstances are this. I think you should have this. That's the cost of it. What do you think? And then it's down to the person. Well, actually, you know, I think it's too expensive. And then I generally will push back. Okay, we say too expensive, but then you spend all this other money, you know, it's very straightforward to see, isn't it? On Just Eat Now, you can just literally run through a bank and go, well, you've spent 75 quid in the last three weeks on Just Eat. So you can afford it. It's just an allocation of resources according to your priorities. And it's not my job, as I say, it's not my job to browbeat people into it. And to a certain extent, I'm, I'm quite, I suppose, blunt with this in the sense of, this is what I recommend. Do you want to go ahead? It's a very simple yes or no. And if people say, no, that's that's fine. Here's a protection declaration I need you to sign. I need you to put in your own words why you don't require this cover. And I, I generally don't roll with the whole thing of it's too expensive. I say we can't use too expensive because we we can I can demonstrate that it's not, it's not that it's too expensive because we've got all this disposable income. So you can't use that one. That's out. And then it's the case of um I don't think I'll need it. Well, I'm, no, no, you're not, I'm not allowing you to use that one either because you don't know that you won't need it. So please just write down what it is. And usually it's, I just don't want it. Okay, well, write down that you don't want it then because that's the, that's, that's the truth. That's the fact of the matter. And I'm, and I'm cool with that. If you don't want it and you don't think it's a risk and you don't think you know it's going to happen to you, that's fine. But then you sign that document because that's the document that I, effectively that's my get-out-of-jail-free card. Because what happens is this. Or what can happen is that if, if someone starts, you know, is, is unable to pay the mortgage, then what tends to happen is that generally customers will try to find any way, understandably, to try and stay in the property. Um, and when it comes to this, usually compliance get involved. And it's Lewis, what's happened on your file? And blah, blah, blah. And I need to be able to prove that I've said to someone, this is your budget. This is disposable income. This is a protection plan. It does fit. You can afford it. It matches what you need and it's going to look after you. Do you want it or not? No, you don't. Okay, that's that sign here. That's the document that I then pass over and they turn around and go, he did give you the option. Give us the keys. That's his, and, and I don't think people always realize how cut and dried this is. You take out a mortgage and that's contractually binding. We'll loan you this money based upon you being able to earn money for this amount of period of time. We're going to charge this amount of interest. And at the bottom of every single mortgage illustration, mortgage offer, if you don't pay your mortgage, we're going to take this home off you. You know, if you do not keep your repayments on your mortgage, um, your home may be repossessed, etc. Or some variation of that is on bold writing on every single document is plastered all across the website. It's contractually binding and that's that. And I think 
it's not always people aren't always as aware as they should be that mortgage lenders are commercial institutions. They're there to make a profit. And if you're then defaulting on your mortgage, they've got a duty of care to one, their investors, but then for two, to make sure that you actually get some equity back uh, from that property. So they then have to repossess it and sell it as quickly as possible. And it is, when it comes to this, very black and white. That was the contract you signed up to. You were given the option to protect yourself. You didn't give us your keys. It really is that cut and dried. And I don't, I sometimes find it a little bit odd when people think that mortgage lenders would, mortgage lenders aren't moral institutions. Banks aren't moral institutions. You know, that's the contract. You've breached it. We want it back. And, and the problem is, is that, of course, is that when that happens, we tend not to like, let's be honest, we don't like taking, no, we, a lot of people don't like taking responsibility, but the reaction, the, the, the reality is, is that every day that you don't have protection, you're flipping that coin. You're flipping that coin, that gamble. And as I say, for some people, that coin lands on the wrong side. But then when it does, they don't want to take the responsibility that they've been taking that bet every day. Does that make sense? It does. Um, and I think it comes back to what you said before about people don't want to think about their you know, illness and death and things. And while they're happy and healthy, they enjoy it. It's only when you become ill that you panic, I suppose. Um, and I think it's something as you get older as well, you become wiser and think it's more, more uh, suitable. From a personal perspective, um, because I don't have a policy in place and I keep saying I will get one done, it seems one of those things that whether I do it this week or next week, it doesn't make any difference. But one of the things that always bothers me is whenever you see all these adverts about it and talk about the best time to buy it, it looks like you've already missed your opportunity. It's like, well, and this is where it's silly because the longer you leave it, the worse it's going to get. Well, because you've already missed out and think, oh, if I'd done it a couple of years ago, it'd be like half the price. I suppose it's like when you're buying a car, if you see a car and you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll shop around. And then you think, no, that's definitely the best one. And it's been sold. Nothing else compares because, well, whatever I buy isn't as good a deal as that one I saw. And you almost wait for a deal like that to come back around. And, and I think it's similar when it comes to life insurance and illness covers and things like that. People, I think the older you get, the more reluctant you become in some ways because you think, oh, I should have done it years ago. But it's, it's never too late, I suppose, would be the message. Yeah, well, that's, that is true. It's never too late until it actually is too late. And then when it is too late, it's always, if only, I, you know, I mean, I can't imagine how it must fit. So, so here's the thing. Often, uh, so, so these days, um, <coughs> um, because of kind of advances with, with medical science and stuff, Actually, you know, if you have a stroke or a heart attack, unless it's a very significant heart attack, um, certainly strokes and definitely cancer, which is generally, so cancers are, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're, the, they're the main cause of claims on things like critical illness cover or income protection and things like that. Um, the, the, the kind of uh, advances that, pe- that, that, that all the kind of brilliant scientists and, and, and professors, et cetera, have made in medical science has meant that actually your chance of survival goes up and up and up each year, uh, which is fantastic, you know, because of course, you know, I, I don't want people to be ill. I don't want people to pass away. I don't want that. Um, and the, it's, 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 it's a bit, 
weird in the sense that in some circumstances, with some illnesses, um, it can be the case where this is a really difficult thing to say. <laughs> um, financially, where people don't have the appropriate cover in place, it might be more beneficial financially. I don't mean <coughs> emotionally, and I certainly don't, and I don't wish this on on anyone. Um, but in a way, they might find themselves in a position where they, they their family would have been better served had they passed away than remained alive, but perhaps as unresponsive or uh, unable to, you know, communicate properly or um, have a full and active life again if they're going to be kind of wheelchair bound uh, and, and potentially, you know, if they've had some form of, uh, specifically I'm thinking about kind of neurological injuries here, um, you know, where they're going to require round-the-clock care. It's fantastic. We've saved their life and, and, and all, you know, or they've, they've had uh, some form of, of cancer and we've, we're going to be able to, you know, patch them up and they're not going to pass away. But unfortunately, they're going to fundamentally, they're going to have changed as a person because of the nature of the illness that they've had. Um, they are the ones where I really, really, I mean, they, I mean, not just me, but anyone that, you know, anyone that's got a bit of compassion and empathy, you really kind of think, oh, Christ, that's, you know, and it's those ones, uh, because actually we are, you know, people do survive better. The, the, you know, people have, we do get better, better cancer treatment and better cancer care as time moves on. The problem is, um, is that because of that, that treatment can now last for one, two, three, four, five years. Um, and whereas, you know, we, you know, 10 years ago, it might have been a case of, unfortunately, Mr. Joe Bloggs, you've only got six months to live. Now it's a case of, no, we can, we, we can we can we can fight this. We can and, we, and the chances are we'll beat it, but it's going to take five years. But how? What do you do in those five years if that's the case of? Well, can I work? Probably not. Right. How do I pay my bills? How do I? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And imagine, I always think I you know I try to impress upon people. Imagine having that hindsight conversation. Just think about how much of a dick you'd feel, and I you know. In the sense of, oh, if we, if only we'd taken that, all this now wouldn't be a problem. We wouldn't be sat worrying about this. We wouldn't be. We wouldn't have all this other crap to deal with that we've now got to deal with. At the same time as thinking, well, I just want dad to get better. Or I just want my partner to get better, or my brother to get better, or my sisters. You know, and now we've got all this other financial. You know. I make no bones about it. I can't take away the fine. I can't take away the emotional pain. I can't take away grief. I can't take away worry. I can't take away, you know, emotional worry that, you know, I can take away all the financial rubbish that goes with something bad happening. I know that's not the biggest thing, but trust me, you know, there's all, there's all that thing, isn't it? In terms of money, money doesn't buy happiness is very, very true, but I'd rather be well off and sad than poor and sad, you know? Um, because actually it makes a big difference and it takes away a lot of worry or can take away a lot of worry at a time when you really don't want it. And I know that this feels like I'm just being really, really um, morbid and, and, and melancholic. But the reason is, is that I don't, I hate those conversations and they do happen more, more often than people realize they do happen where the phone goes off and you answer the phone and it's a case of either do we have cover in place? And that's a yes or a no. And it's awful when it's a no, but it's such a relief 
for me and for them, and I've seen it happen, where they ring up and go, what have we got in place? This has happened. And then I can kind of spring into action, like, right, give me the details, tell me everything that's happened. I make a claim. And then, you know, literally 10 days later, right, there's a check for £273,642 winging its way to, it'll be, in, it'll be transferred into your account within 48 hours. Or, okay, we've contacted the insurer. The income protection plan is going to start paying out from next week. Uh, it's going to replace 65% of the salary and it's going to run now until he's better or until, until they're back at work. Or, you know, I've broken my leg. Okay, I've, you've got to have surgery. Okay, well, actually, there's a, there's a pot of money here that means that you can either have surgery at this, this local place or if you want to kind of jump the queue, we can go here because there's this pot of money allocated for that. Would you rather do that? Oh, so I can go to a, a private place and get it done quicker. And Yeah, if you want, because that's what this does. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, let's do that then. You know, so that and that's a, it's not a nice feeling to get those calls, but it's fantastic when I know that all that other worry, I just pulled out of that family unit and put it to one side and go like, right, now just get better, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think you've made, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's how many worries simultaneously do you want? And if you can alleviate some of them, it might not be the biggest headache you've got, but if you can alleviate everything else, I think for me, if you're in that position where you are coming to terms with some, some bad news, whether it's for yourself or for a relative or a friend, you want that to be your sole focus. And unfortunately for a lot of people, that isn't the case uh, because they don't have that cover in place. So if you can alleviate the other stuff, it's not the biggest thing you've got. I suppose if I if I was to use a personal uh, predicament, I was living with a relative who was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I was worried about what was going to happen to my uh, living arrangements. And you almost feel selfish in that moment. Someone's dying that you care about, and you're thinking, "Well, what happens to me?" But ultimately, particularly because I had uh, I had my son at the time as well, it's like, well. This is actually, it's not a selfish thing. This is hugely important. You've got to make sure you've got somewhere to live and that you can afford to live there. And uh, ultimately that was resolved, which meant I could then fully focus my time and energy on the person in question. Now, if that hadn't been the case, and I would have had to have one you know, part of me in the back of my head thinking about, well, you need to sort this out. You don't get that quality of time and that 100% commitment to that person. So... I think from that perspective, having cover in place is, is that's probably the most important aspect of it. Is, is as you said earlier, you can't make all of the other things go away, but you can make the financial side go away. But to put it in a more humane way, perhaps that's not saying you've been inhumane. Just to point out, um, but it's more about saying, well, I, I want to, I want them to be my uh, my the, my full attention is on this person. So if if you could wave a magic wand and say all the other things you're stressed about have been resolved you'd feel a lot better and you'd be able to focus on what's important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a big thing, but to, to kind of, to try to kind of wrap this up on a, on a more positive note, because I realize I've been quite probably depressive and stuff like that and laboring this, but the reason I labor it is because I don't ever want people to have that conversation. And, and here's the thing. I don't want people to not be in a position to make a choice. And, and, and this is again, where you kind of, you put the big person pants on. It's a choice. You either deter you. You either think to yourself, "I'm going to take responsibility for this, and I'm going to make sure that my family are protected, that I'm protected, and that in, in the event that something happens to me, I'm looking after the people that I care about." Or you choose not to do that. I'm not saying that there's. I'm not making a judgment there. 
but they are the choices and people will make a judgment here, but you know, um, they are the choices. Uh, but it is fundamentally a coin flip. It always is. And it always has been a coin flip. It's just that we never want to think of that. Uh, but on the, on the kind of upside these days with protection policies, policies, you don't actually have to be very, very poorly to get genuine benefit from them. So for example, um, on certain income protection plans, which is effectively like personal sick pay, they some of them automatically include, for example, fracture cover. So if you are, um, let's say you're uh, walking the dog and, and you're out and you slip over, you, you trip over, you break your ankle. Oh God, I can't drive to work. Well, don't worry because your income protection plan pays out a lump sum for your fracture cover. So if you can't go to work, then we're going to cover the cost of your wages. Um, and if you can go to work, we're going to give you a lump sum because that's going to then helpfully, hopefully, you know, I can't drive to work. Well, here's a lump sum and then we're, that's going to fund your taxes. You know, so there's that. So, so there's bits and bobs like that. But then there's other stuff on top of it where, so for example, a lot of a lot of protection, well, good protection providers, I should say, um, offer things that can that can help you and prevent you from being poorly. So it might be the case that they'll offer discounted, for example, health MOTs, or they might even say for annually, we'd like to conduct a, a health MOT. We're going to send out some uh, bits and bobs in the post. If you can fill if you can fill the form in, if you can give us some urine and maybe take a little blood sample for yourself, send them all back to us, and we're going to, going to run some random checks, uh, some 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 medical diagnostics, and to to prevent or to catch early something that could turn into a problem that doesn't. So it might be a case that, you know, you, you do um, you do a little uh, health MOT that you wouldn't have known about. Oh, actually, Mr. Mister Smith, your cholesterol is actually a little bit high. It's not dangerous, but it is a bit high. It might be something you want to consider uh, uh, amending your diet that you may never have known about until you had that heart attack. So there's things there that are there to help you live a more healthy and active life as well. Not only that, but also then on top of this, on, on top of that. So a lot of the plans that I arrange for people often include things like GP services. So as we all know at the moment, um, it can be very difficult to get a GP appointment. That's because um, again, they're under-resourced and uh, you know, they, they've, they're, they're overstretched and under-resourced uh, and it's, it's difficult to, to be able to get a GP con- consultation. Now, there's a couple of plans that I uh, arrange regularly for customers that automatically include GP services and prescription services. So that means that you can have a virtual consultation on a mobile device face-to-face with a GP within two hours. Um, and they'll give you a proper, you know, so a straightforward, you know, a bit of private GP. Um, and if they, you know, they'll either say, actually you need to go to this place for further diagnostic testing, or it's a case of, oh, actually, yeah, this is A, B, and C, and you need these medications. Uh, your prescription is coming through. Where do you want it sending to? And that's not as though it's, that's not that's not a cost over and above the life assurance or critical illness cover or the incapitation. That's included within it. So these things there, they're actually, you know, for, for a lot of people, think things to be used um, on a on a month to month basis. I, I've got a, I've got a friend um, that lives down in Kent. Um, and he's used the, the G, he uses the GP consultation, the online consultation thing. It's generally about once a month because he's got a young child. He's a bit panicky, um, and he, he's constantly on having consultations. And there's no limit to it. Um, you know, it's not something you pay for. And and they they uh, have like a, a service level agreement where you'll get a consultation. I believe it's within 
think it's within two hours. 95% of something like that are answered within two hours and you have this, you know, a GP in the same way that you would video call a friend or whatever. Um, so there's things that are built into them these days where it's, you don't have to be poorly, poorly to, to benefit. They're there to actively try and help you live a healthier life, to help you make sure that your family stay well, to, um, you know, to give you advice on, on how to better look after your health and to potentially prevent serious illness by having, you know, a regular checkup that you wouldn't have had, um, which then, you know, oh, it's great that we've got all this cover. So, so here's, so, so what they kind of, what they kind of almost doing there is going, yeah, we're going to insure you in case, in, in case any of this bad stuff happens, but presumably you'd rather it didn't happen, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, if you change your diet because your cholesterol's a bit up or if you alter your habits here, or if you do this, <coughs> then we know that you're going to reduce your risk of X, Y, and Z to such a point that you hopefully won't get it. So it's not that they don't want to pay, but most people would say, well, I'd rather not have a heart attack. And if that means eating one less chippy a week, then I'll do that. But you wouldn't know that unless you've got the information. You wouldn't have that information because you wouldn't go and find it. But if you've got an insurer going, look, just uh, just do us a quick blood test at home, send that into us. And, you know, do you see what I'm saying? So it's actually there to, it's not there just to make money. It's, it's also there to help you live a, uh, happier and healthier and hopefully longer life. Yep, makes makes a lot of sense. Although dropping a chippy tea a week, I'm not sure um, whether I'd be able to do that. <laughs> to be honest, no, you and um, me both. No, you and me both. But but you see where I'm coming from. It's got visions of you with mushy peas in your beard now, um, Lewis. <laughs> um, before we descend into lunacy, um, that's a good point to, to end it on. Um, thank you very much for for talking us through all of that. It's not a conversation people like to have, um, but we are in a very strange way, quite a morbid race, aren't we? And I guarantee that something like this is the sort of thing people will listen to and find quite interesting and hopefully very informative as well. Uh, so my thanks to you once again, Lewis. No worries, mate, no worries. Well, look, take look after yourself and uh, we'll speak soon. I will. Well, I'm going to have one less chippy tea now you've scared the life out of me. <laughs>